0: Hey, everybody hey it's your girl rajat speaks with narrative shifts where we are redefining and reframing the narratives that go out about us today on our show really really thrilled about this panel that we have tonight um as you guys know a lot of you have been keeping up keeping up with me know that i have an affinity toward the medical field i'm kind of a geek when it comes to science i've been kind of geeked out since i was young so to have this panel with me tonight is incredibly exciting um it's going to be super informative and i'm just really pleased and excited uh and favored Really, to to be in the midst of such educated uh, individuals, and so uh, tonight I am going to introduce to you Dr. Silas Norman. I will be talking, uh, introducing Nikia Davis as well as Erica Dudley. So, Dr. Silas, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. If you could tell me a little bit about yourself and say hey to the
1: audience, that would be great. Wonderful. Good evening. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, wonderful to be on. Uh, so I am a uh, native of Detroit, uh, and I'm uh, currently working as a uh, kidney transplant physician. Mm. Um, I uh, originally went into medicine, uh, really, because I grew up on the west side of Detroit, and I had this uh, idea that I was going to uh, take care of people in the community with diabetes and high blood pressure, and, um, Mm. you know, at 15, I'm sure that I didn't know what I was talking Mm -hmm. about, you know uh, but, but that's what I thought I was going to do. Um, you know, and then I ended up, uh, getting into, to nephrology when, um, uh, really, as I got through medical training, really realized the burden of kidney disease, uh, in our community. Uh, and of course, you know, found it very interesting. And then, um, you know, as that progressed, uh, ended up meeting, uh, uh, one of my research mentors uh, who was doing transplant uh, himself. Uh, and so that brought me into the transplant uh, realm. Um, mm. And I've had the opportunity for about 20 years now to uh, work in transplant. Um, and I think we just, uh, you know, have a great opportunity to uh, reach out to people, help the community. And I think as we're here, I think really see transformative change, mm. you know, when we're able to, to touch people uh, with transplant.
0: Wow, that's a beautiful um, just just history of, of, of your uh, experience. Thank you for sharing that. Um, let's go with Erica Dudley next. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I have some questions for everybody.
2: Okay.
3: Hi, everyone. My name is Erica Dudley, and I have been nursing for 30 years. 20 of those years, I have been in leadership. In third grade, I knew I wanted to be a nurse. So um, there there's that. And um, what led me to um, transplant was just actually some conversations with um, an old colleague of mine. I was actually, uh, my background is in surgery, And and um, I would see transplant side of pre-procurement or um, pre-organ donation, and um, just found it, you know, significantly interesting. You know, being in the African American community, like the biggest thing, one of the biggest things for us is um, kidney disease. Um, I have it in my family, and you know, you see the um, the repercussions of it. And so, um, being able to be in transplant, you know, and, and uh, see. Um, kidney disease and, you know, all of the things that go along with it. And then us being able to um, offer the the gift of uh, life through donation um, mm-hmm. is something that is really special to me.
0: That's awesome. Thank you. And then Nikia, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the field as well. That would be wonderful.
3: Okay. My
4: name is Nikia Davis. I'm a registered nurse. Um, I'm a cer- certified nephrology nurse working in an outpatient dialysis clinic in the metro detroit area i've been in nephrology for the past 21 years Mm -hmm. Um, i started off as a dialysis technician actually and i just completed my master's in nursing with a focus in um, adult gero nurse practitioner so i'm just waiting to take my boards i plan on uh, staying in nephrology as well Mm -hmm. Um, i have experience working with patients in um, a chronic um, outpatient dialysis setting that's when the patients come in average three times a week i've um work with patients with chronic kidney disease in a clinic that's not yet on dialysis. I work with patients in a hospital um, in an acute dialysis setting. And currently I um, teach patients how to do their own dialysis at home. I teach them how to do peritoneal dialysis and um, home hemodialysis. And um, when people ask me, why did I get nephrology? I don't think I chose nephrology. I think nephrology chose me. <laughs> mm. I don't, I don't like anything else. If I had to choose something mm. else besides nephrology, maybe cardiology. But this, this is what I do. So, like Erica said, um, kidney disease um, runs in her family. Um, it runs in my family too. As people know, you know my sister had a kidney, kidney and pancreas transplant about uh, three years ago. So, mm.
0: kidney is my thing. Got you. Thank you for that. Um, You go by the kidney nurse. So they're they're seeing the kidney nurse. Tell us a little bit about what that is or why. Because every every nurse that functions with kidneys, anyone could call the kidney nurse. Why are you the kidney nurse? nurse?
4: nurse Because my goal is to really educate um, our community on kidney disease prevention. So, um, as Dr. Silas, you know, stated, high blood pressure and diabetes are two of the main causes of um, kidney disease. So, I really want to educate the public on some disease processes that they can possibly control to um, prevent progression, you know, of kidney disease or, you know, delaying.
0: Got you. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, Just listening, I'm hearing. about dialysis, obviously we know that that's a thing, and I know you're more sort of um, hands-on in that space, Nakia. Um, but if any, if the, any of the three of you can answer this, I was just thinking about the context of, of COVID nineteen. Now, this conversation is not going to be COVID driven, right? But in terms of COVID nineteen and just your ability to access your patients when everything uh, kind of just took, you know went south how challenging was that for you or what kind of um, adjustments did you have to make any one of you or all of you?
4: For us in a dialysis clinic, it was super challenging just the way the dialysis clinic is set up. Hmm. So it was its own little hot spot. before we, you know, tried to make changes with the chair arrangements. And it's not mm-hmm. like our patients can stay home. This is life-sustaining treatment. So they have to come. So we just had to make adjustments of, far as how they sat in the lobby how they sat on the treatment and so that's the inpatient side so for me with my home patients I limited their interactions with coming into the clinic so at that time we were not on telemedicine We the video visits we really really had to implement that that was a challenge with some of our non-technical you know patients and mm-hmm. I have patients from 20 years old to like 86 years old so that mm-hmm. whole piece was was different and um you know it was a challenge but we you know we we got through it. we're still you know working through it to make sure our patients stay safe and and healthy
0: that's awesome thank you um i believe dr silas i heard you say that you've been in the field 20 years in kidney health is yes. that, is that yes. i heard okay that's awesome that's a great wonderful run so far keep running um i want i would like to know in terms of just black folks in this space um in the professional space right so 20 years ago were there um, a significant amount of us represented in these professional environments in terms of um, nephrology?
1: Uh, so the simple answer is no. Um, I think, as as many people know, uh, you know, African Americans make up overall about two percent of all the physicians. Um, mm-hmm. You know, actually, you know, a hundred years ago, when when hospital systems were segregated, there were actually more black physicians. Uh, proportionally than there are than there are now mm-hmm. um and um african american physicians are are uh more commonly in in a number of the primary care uh fields where we're very much needed, but that means that when you look at specialties like nephrology there's even less representation mm-hmm. uh overall i i think that Eric and I could probably name you know every nephrologist in Michigan wow uh, okay. who's black um and know them all, and so I think because there's few of us on the one hand, it means that we're a close community you know um, the other challenge though it means that there's few of us. we know that there are several studies that show that that uh, African Americans get better care uh, overall uh, when they have uh, black physicians mm-hmm. um, as do as do some other people, and so as we think about making sure that our community has access to the best care. One of the limitations is that there's, is the representation of the physicians and the nurses uh, and other providers that that take care of them.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, so in terms of that access to the best care, uh, our patients, I mean, you know, anyone who's not a physician or a nurse, in terms of being the patient, what are your thoughts about patient advocacy? um because in a situation where maybe the representation is less or we feel maybe like something is not quite jiving right and we want to kind of ask a little bit more uh we have questions we don't quite understand or maybe because of what you just shared in terms of that representation the practitioner might not have some knowledge right culturally about some things um in terms of the patient advocacy side, right? So I'm the patient and I'm I'm kind of just confused. I know I've got some things going on with my kidneys. They just told me something's going on. How how do you advocate for yourself as, as a patient when you do see maybe some disparities that are going on maybe right in front of you? Um, or, you know, if I'm in the ER and something's happening or I'm at the dialysis uh, appointment and I see that, how, how do you recommend um, that we advocate for ourselves? What does that look like?
1: Uh, sure. No, I think that's a, a tremendous question. And I think, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, your health matters more to you than anybody else. And Absolutely. so I think it's it's incumbent upon us uh, to be stewards of our own health and, and be advocates uh, for ourselves and, and make sure the best we can that we're getting the care and the treatment that we, that we deserve. Um, it, one of the parts of that uh, is, is then it's up to us to make sure that we're well educated about our medical condition, our disease, and what the best care is. Um, uh, that's not always easy, but I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, um, if we're going to ideally prevent having kidney disease, if we're going to slow down that progression, uh, if we're going to make sure that we have the best longevity, uh, we really have to know, you know, what the best care is out there mm-hmm. and what the best recommendations are so that we can go to our doctor, you know, and say, how come I'm not on this medicine? How come, mm-hmm. you know, you told me my blood pressure is okay, but I checked my blood pressure and, you know, it's supposed to be lower, you know. Um, I think you're supposed to refer me, you know, for a kidney transplant evaluation right now, these kind of things, you know. Um, I think, you know, if we think about our kids in school, right, we would have, I think, no problem going to the school and saying, you know, this is what I expect for my child, you know. Uh, this is not happening. This needs to happen. And I think, you know, same way for our health. Um you know, and I think programs like this are, are, you know, terrific opportunities to help people educate themselves and, and learn, maybe learn what they don't know, you know, and provide, help provide some resources to people.
2: Thank um,
4: you. Yeah. And to uh, off that, um, mm-hmm. so um, Michigan is now demanding implicit bias training for all healthcare professionals. So, wow, good professionals, we need to Put our biases aside because everybody has them and you may not realize that you mm-hmm. have them, you know,
2: mm-hmm. so
4: you can't, you know, look at somebody and say, hey, they're not, you know, controlling their blood pressure, they're not eating right, and this, that, and the other. They may not be doing those things, but, but why? You know, is it their environment they're living in? Can they afford to do these things? Mm-hmm. People are choosing between um uh filling their prescription medications or keeping food on the table or keeping lights on or, you know, heating gas. So, we have to really check our own selves too. And especially, you know, when you're dealing
3: with a different um, culture
0: of people. Mm-hmm. That's good, thank you. Erica, did you want to add anything to that?
3: No, uh, well, maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> so I think nice. that, um, the, the training is absolutely imperative and mm-hmm. um, I am excited to see this being rolled out and being mandated. Um, I know when I worked at the University of Michigan, uh, we had started this work um, quite a few years ago um, and really taking a look at um, how many African-Americans and minorities were in leadership, were um, in all phases of the discipline and really having um, someone from um, the um, diversity division come in and, and show that, un- um, you know, uh, unconscious bias is real mm-hmm. and like showed us, Um, with all of it, because we as African-Americans or minorities, you know, we see it, but we are the only ones that see it. So being able to, you know, have that highlighted, I think is going to be, you know, tremendous for um, the community. And then it gives us a little more power too, to hold our peers accountable. Mm
2: -hmm. That's great.
0: When does this uh, training begin and, and how long is it going?
4: Um, well, it's going to be a requirement for us to renew our, you know, license. So it's going to be rolling out soon. I actually sat on the um, subgroup committee with the um, state of Michigan um, through American Nurses Association um, to help um, formulate the education piece. So okay, excellent. it's open for public comment now in the legislation.
0: That's really good. Um, That's really encouraging to hear from this side, you know, from the patient side. Um, That's, that's really exciting. Uh, So all of you, well, Dr. Salas, you don't know, we're not going to make this about me, but you know, I, I just spent a couple of months kind of dealing with some, some health challenges that were just crazy and out of the blue and just really random, randomly seeming. Right. And I tend to be someone who does, deep dive into all of the research i'm going to the journals i'm checking because i need to know what's going on with my body right mm-hmm. and i love that you mentioned it um and in the way that you did highlighting the fact that if the, if this was our kid you know if we are going to the school it's like oh, no i need this i need this i need this we have all these demands we have a list of what we believe to be the best criteria right to, to best support our children and yet we don't necessarily use that same energy with ourselves right and and i love that you know, you shared it the way that you did coming from, you know, the position of a doctor, you know. And so it's it's interesting because over here on this side, you know, we, we want to be able to advocate. And sometimes I think there's a bit of intimidation, perhaps, right, um, from the patient side, because maybe we aren't as knowledgeable as, as we need to be. And so in terms of um, seeking to get more education, to become more educated about our bodies or uh, the scope of what we may be dealing with, um, I know you said, you know, programs like this, you know, these are great. What are some other uh, ways in which, you know, community members can actually educate themselves? Because what happens is there's a stigma sometimes if we go look it up, because that's what we do. We go on Google, right? And we look up things and mm-hmm. and we may come to the doctor with a whole list of, I saw this on WebMD, I saw this on such and such, because that's what happens on the patient side, right? And, and, yeah, I, and yeah. I think I think there's a bit of a, I don't know. At times, I've seen the condes- 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 What am I saying? What word am I saying? Condescending nature of, um, you know, some, you know, clinicians who are like, okay, no, like, stop doing that. But you know, what do you recommend? You know, for those who have maybe experienced that.
1: So I think no, I'll answer maybe two parts. You know, okay. I think that. Um, um, there's a number of great sites out there that are directed towards patients. So, yeah. uh, things like, uh, Motep's, uh, site, uh, Gift of Life, um, National Kidney Foundation of Michigan, uh, the American Kidney Fund, uh, okay. you know, that are patient centered, uh, and at least an entry into, into getting good information and, and reliable information, uh, you know, with, with good links. And I think that's mm-hmm. a, a first, uh, a first step, okay. um. Um, you know, and then I think the second part is, is, uh, uh building on what you just said is people, uh, remembering that th- at the end of the day, the care is about them. And so, you know, I certainly have a number of patients who are good at advocating for themselves, you know, they'll come into my 30 minute visit, you know, and they will sit down with that list
2: yes. and
1: they are unfazed by the fact that that list is clearly 30. more than 30 minutes, yeah. um, you know, and, um. Uh, you know, but they say, look, I've got 15 questions and, uh, you know, you're going to answer all 15 questions. Uh, yeah. We can be here till noon. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and at the end of the day, uh, the day works and they get what they need yes. uh, to take care of themselves. So I think in some sense, people don't need to wear that. I think it's a 30 minute visit, but if you think it's a 45 minute visit, then, <laughs> you know, we're going to have a 45 minute visit if that's what we need. Because, and, and I think, even though some physicians may be off put by a patient who asks a lot of questions and makes you really explain what you're doing mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, you really like that patient. That's an engaged patient. That's mm-hmm. a patient who you can make a plan with and, and, and have follow through. So I think uh, people shouldn't be at all intimidated. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they're paying us, um, you know? Um, so uh, people should get what they need uh you know from their doctors ask those questions um, you know we laugh, people bring up something, you know and you have a good relationship with pay, you can just laugh when they bring up something that's you know a little off the wall, but you know you you know you're laughing with respect as you then move on to say, okay, like i you know I like turmeric too, but let's all right now um, <laughs> kind of thing so.
0: I love that answer. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Gosh. Okay. I'm trying to see which way I want to go here. So you mentioned gift of life. And so let's make that, let's let that segue there a little bit naturally. So um, I learned about gift of life, I guess, I want to say about seven years ago or so. Um, I wasn't familiar with it. I've always been a, a pretty solid advocate for um a proponent i guess of um do, you know like organ donation right like i'm here for it and i learned about gift of life i think through erica possibly i think maybe maybe it was the first introduction there um but a dear dear friend of mine who was a mentor of mine um he passed away uh several years ago and that was my first sort of introduction to Gift of Life as the organization, um, because I was talking to his wife at the time. And so she was just kind of working through that and sharing. And she still shares the stories and it's beautiful. And um, that was my first introduction to it. Can you guys tell me a little bit more about Gift of Life? I'm sure there are people who have no idea what it is. And I really want to spotlight that, especially with March coming up and
1: everything.
3: You going to go south So you want me to go?
1: Go ahead, Erica.
3: So, um, Gift of Life is what we call an organ procurement uh, organization, and so we, Gift of Life, works with the transplant centers and um, with our regulatory body too, that are on the uh, on the wait list, that um, local, regional, um, and national. Uh, and so, um, every uh, nine minutes, someone is added to the wait list, right? Um, and over 100,000 um, folks are on the wait list for, uh, for kidney transplant um, alone, and about 30% of those are African-Americans. Um, oh, but getting right. the product, um, has been really interested in um, pushing um, um, even COVID uh, policies and conversations. Because You know, COVID is something that has been, you know, has hit us pretty, pretty hard. And I think that there is... Um, an article that has been circulating about um, a young woman who actually um, got a set of lungs. And so, you know, the when, when the deal went down, you know, she um, died from COVID uh, from the organ transplant. Uh, but um, Gift of Life actually has been instrumental in getting uh, folks added to um, the wait list. Um, a lot of work was done with that with the Secretary of State and um, got a little hit with, uh, with COVID because of, you know, removing um, extra people from, um, the, um, from the centers, um, but still um, are advocates for, um, you know, for donation. And actually the tagline is, you know, um, honoring um, the legacy of a person through the gift of donation. And mm-hmm. so it's, Gift of Life has really um, worked with uh, transplant centers to um, go out in the community and uh, just kind of tell the people about organ donation, Um, especially, you know, in our community. We have Mm -hmm. minority um, organ tissue transplant education program, and so I actually set on Um, on that board. And so we have focus groups within the community and just kind of talk about um, some of the the myths for organ donation, Um, because that's, you know, it's really real in the African-American community. And, you know, we use a lot of the organs. And so being able to um, have those candid, um, transparent conversations to kind of get us comfortable with you know, when you come into the hospital, we're going to do everything that we can. And if you um, lead toward brain death or, you know, there is that withdrawal, then these are options for you to be able to, you know, give the gift of life to someone else. Because for Solid organ, one person can, you know, save eight lives. And so
2: mm-hmm.
3: it's been um, amazing working with with
0: gift of life. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, I heard you say... Uh, that we talk in the African-American community quite a bit about these, um, or at MOTEP, they're the myths of uh, organ donations, right? And so can you speak more about that? Because I know personally, when I was growing up, um, I was a child and I I remember saying, oh, I want to give my organs, you know, I want to be able to donate my organs when when I was younger. And my parents were like, hey, hey, don't do that. (laughs) You know, and so I remember it just kind of being a hard stop and I didn't understand because to me as a child, I'm like this makes sense to me, right? And I realized later, as you know, I grew that there there was so much stigma on that, um, and and to a point, rightfully so, right? Um, yeah. But how? So how do you combat that? Like how do you actually? talk to people and get them, you know, to a place of, of accepting the fact that like, yeah, okay, I I should donate my organs or I can, you know, and obviously it's a decision, you know, for everyone, each decision is going to be different, but how do you actually sort of, um, I guess, lower that guard a bit, right? As it pertains to that. Eric, go
3: <laughs> so, so it's really just being in the community and it's mm. having those yeah. um you know active um small um group uh conversations and actually um this actual cup uh, um it is the gift of life and um there's no tap but we did like a lot of work in the community in mm. with the minorities and so we called them Let's Talk and so it's really mm. you know, we're coming to the table. Um, Talk to us about, you know, your ideas of organ transplantation and giving them an opportunity to just kind of say, like, we don't trust it, we don't, you know, whatever, and then taking it piece by piece, right? And really showing them, okay, so this truly is what's happening right? You give them the opportunity to, you know, make the decision, but our role is to really get out there and educate them and mm-hmm. show them that we care, right? And so it's not just, so So really the biggest thing is not just being transactional, but it's being relational. And we know that in the african Community. And in the um, minority community, we're relational people. You can't just come in and you know right. and say you know, hey, we provided this service. They want to know, can you connect with us, right? And so we have mm-hmm. to connect with their heart, you know, and their soul. And so that's what you know these little focus groups do. And it it decreases or or just kind of like gives them an opportunity to just kind of relax and be themselves to say, how do we have this how- conversation? Mm-hmm. And it's one by one, right? I can have a conversation with my family or my friends because I still have some friends that are like, mm-mm.
2: Mm-hmm. So, you know,
3: every conversation, it's it's little by little.
0: Okay. So that community piece is so huge. And and we know that obviously within the community. Um, I think I think that's really good. How often do those focus groups Go on with gifted- um,
3: every couple of months, Alice. You can probably um, answer that more because I kind of came in the middle of it. Mm. Um, but we did um, a huge run with um, ad campaigns and like little commercials. Okay. Um, and so um, it's been good. I think that we are also having some conversations about it um, for this year as well. How do we, you know, mm. remain connected
2: to
1: mm.
3: the Going to schools. Um. So we, we it's a nice. lot of being done. Yeah. I don't know. If
1: Silas wants to add to that. I would just know that was wonderful, and you know, I would just add that you know, as Erica said, it, it highlights the importance of representation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to have it, a good messenger is a good messenger, uh, but you know, this is about uh, relationships. It's about trust, and so you know, people in the community need to see you know people that they trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people from the community. Um, to deliver these messages um, to feel comfortable asking the question about some of these myths, about some of the concerns um, related to donation, related to transplantation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the, uh, with one of these efforts, uh, this last talk was uh, sort of this uh, a matter of faith, which was a, a video put together that, that brought together a number of the faith leaders in the community okay. uh, talking about organ donation you know, uh, highlighting that it's okay, and the reasons, and that's very powerful, because you have people who people trust, and so Mm -hmm. as they deliver that message, you know, it it perhaps opens people up um, to that possibility, Um, you know, and I think people want to do the right thing. And, and I think we're in it all the time. So I think it's easy for us to forget sometimes that we appreciate the epidemic of kidney disease that's, that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as people learn about that and hear about that, and as we said, I think all of us in our families, among our friends, among our associations, we all know people who, whether we know it or not, yep. you know, have kidney disease or waiting for transplants, have <laughs> had a transplant, um, mm-hmm. And I think once we're aware of that, then in some sense, that donation message, um, you know, becomes easier.
0: That's good. Thank you. Um, In terms of let's let's go to COVID real quick. We're going to switch gears here in terms of COVID, because I heard uh, Erica mentioned the article and I saw that article and it kind of freaked me out the other day (laughs) um, about the uh, lung transplant patient. Who, uh, inf- in, in, in like post mortem, inf- or no, not post mortem, but mortem, right? Was it was it post mortem that she infected ten about eleven people? I think it was right. It was the surgeon and then ten members of the staff. I believe I read. Is that correct?
3: Well, it was intra. From my understanding, it was during the transplant, right? Okay.
0: Um, so not post. No, so I misspoke. Sorry about that. Thank you. Um, so during the transplant that happened. And I'm curious to know, and obviously, you know, that's a, that's a anomaly or whatever we want to call it. Right. Um, they still need to figure out what's going on with that, of course, through, you know, research and, you know, just, just checking everybody that's coming in, but in terms of kidney health specifically, um, have you guys seen an impact directly on the kidneys as it pertains to um, COVID-19? Mm-hmm. you. So in my
4: setting, uh, we had, um, especially in the beginning of the the pandemic, a lot of acute kidney injury uh, patients who needed dialysis um, for a few months. Some people recovered. Some people did not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people had no uh, kidney disease prior to um, catching COVID and then, you know, going into acute kidney injury some mm-hmm. patients um did have chronic kidney disease and this kind of put them over you know maybe if they didn't catch covid they wouldn't be on dialysis as soon as they were mm-hmm. so this kind of put you know a few patients over um so it was just a lot of
2: mm-hmm.
4: a lot of changes a lot of um in the beginning they were running out of um uh workers to do dialysis um because of how the blood um clots and everything. It was clotting off the dialysis machines. They were running out of supplies. It was, it was wow. a big problem at the very beginning. Wow.
0: Gosh, wow. I'm just taking that in a little bit. That's, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> And We
4: had to have a separate unit to dialyze mm-hmm. the COVID patients because, once again, our patients still need treatment, you know, so we can't mm-hmm. turn them away. So um, we had a, a separate unit set up for patients who had COVID that, that needed treatment.
0: Mm. So it it was a big thing. That had to be really difficult, especially because it was so new, and so you didn't really know what you were up against. So it's trying to adjust, right? You're trying to adjust and adapt, and and have no idea what this is. It's like trying to grab water in your hands, right? Like barehanded. Exactly. (laughs) And you're trying not to catch it to take it home to your
4: family, you know. Mm -hmm. And every day the CDC we're we're changing the rules and the guidelines. So today we're doing this, and then two hours Mm -hmm. later we're like a memo you know, from um, Mm. our healthcare system. Like, okay, we're doing this now. You're like, Oh my goodness. So, Mm. um, as the people know, I had contracted COVID from work from a patient at work.
2: Mm -hmm.
4: And, um, so that was a, you know, that was a big thing.
0: Mm. Um, I'm thinking about the mental health naturally. (laughs) That's my bent of, of the three of you, uh, as all of this has been going on. And so as I'm just I'm hearing, you know, Nikki and I know she's on the front lines a lot, you know, more kind of in the trenches, right? Um but I know all of you are impacted so so greatly, you know, by everything. And and we are gosh, about a year I think, right? Into this thing and I think today, I think they marked it as, as a year today. Um And so obviously when a when a year has gone, we've become, I don't want to say desensitized, but that we kind of have a bit in terms of just people are dying every day. We know that people are dying every day. We're still, you know, needing to adapt and adjust uh, the way we do naturally. Um, But I think about just the toll that, that, you know, may have taken on the three of you uh, in the beginnings. Right. And how have you overcome that? Because of course you have your families. Right. And, uh, Nikia, I mean, you you contracted it and went home, and you have you have family, and I know, you know personally, I was able to, you know, kind of track what was going on with you, um, and so you know it was beautiful to see you press through that, be able to get through it, be on the other side of that thing, and, and be strong and be in this space and still rocking out things and <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, making wonderful strides and accomplishments. Um, but but how did you guys stay steady? Like, what you know, I'm just curious because you know we're human, right? And you guys are superheroes to me. And I just want to know how you guys, you know, keep it, keep it steady mentally. How did you guys deal with that in the beginnings? Um, Let's go with Erica and then Dr. Silas and then uh, Nakia.
3: I think for me, um, we're on the front lines, but not Necessarily on the front lines because we're dealing right. with pre um, and post. Uh, so we have a lot of our kiddos though that when they come into the hospital, they don't leave until transplant. And so it mm-hmm. was really, even though we had to push through the fact of we still need to be, you know, at work because we still need to care for these people. Um, but the thing that we found that gave us um, the most um, peace and really some grace. Is the fact that um, we were just making sure that we were kind to one another. We were visible to each other. Uh, we would do briefings and, you know, and of course it changes, right? Because then everything goes to Zoom meetings or team meetings um, or you get a big conference room, you you know, a thousand you know, miles apart. But, you know, as long as we were able to stay connected and really just kind of work through the process, we kept our patient first. How do we, you know, keep these patients safe, whether they're coming into clinic, or you know, how many times do we have to get them um, tested because they're in the hospital? So just being um, busy with um, trying to make sure that you know our patients were good, the process that we were putting in place to keep them safe. Um, And then also just taking care of ourselves. We, you know, did scheduling to where, you know, you work today, I'm at home working. um, And so just really being, you know, flexible and pliable to Mm -hmm. each other. And then just a
2: lot of extending of grace.